0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with the flesh." Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he may show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and, and said thus to them, to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king its interpretation. Then the, cling, then the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head... As you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came the thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind." Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold altogether were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of summer threshing fours. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. And into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle, as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay. So they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay." The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and an incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. This is God's word. A
1: little mic test here. No good back here? Oh, there I am. There I am. Perfect. So I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Um, a few extra jewels in the crown for standing for that reading, right? So it's like, I stood for the reading of the word of the Lord. Um, in all honesty, it, it is good for us sometimes to be pushed to uh, sit or stand in uh, silence uh, before, before the word of the Lord. Um... Blakely, that was excellent. It was it was hilarious. Blakely, uh, she came over and she was practicing reading the text uh, at, at our house, and I put a timer on it. You know, I was like, all right, how long is this going to be? And actually, I was going to do you guys a solid and ask you to be seated for the reading of the text, but I forgot. I'm sorry, um, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> So Blakely was reading it though and she and so we were we were at the dinner table and uh, Jack and Jude and John were sitting there and she was reading all these parts about death and, and you know, killed and every time she said the word killed, Jack and Jude at the same time were like, Killed? Killed? And I'm like, Yeah, yeah. Um but we didn't we didn't preach a sermon uh, during that time. Um, we'll we'll save that for you guys. Uh, we we are in a in a twelve thirteen week uh, ish uh, journey through the book of Daniel. We're gonna walk through the first six chapters, and then we're gonna take a one week break on October 20, and then consider the rest of the book uh, after that, leading up to our Advent series beginning in December. Now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't want to out you. I don't, I don't want you to be embarrassed, um, but just in your mind, maybe raise the little hand that's in your mind, you know, whenever I ask you this. Um, how many of you, that's the first time you've ever heard Daniel 2? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, first time you've ever read it, first time you've ever heard it, and you're sitting here and you're like, what is going on? This is insane because when you think of Daniel, you, you may think of Daniel one we talked about last week. You you may think of Daniel three. You're like, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the dude with the big statue, you know. But you were like, oh no, not this stat. I don't I don't know what I don't know what this is. A lot of people do. Uh, they're selective in their reading of Daniel, and and pastors and churches are typically selective in how they walk through the book of Daniel. We're, we've decided that. You know, we're going to walk through the whole book because we believe that all of God's Word is beneficial uh, for, for teaching. And I actually believe that our passage today is incredibly relevant, maybe in some ways that you, you hadn't considered before. Um, since the passage is so long, the, the way that I'm going to walk through it is we're, we're going to summarize the entire story in, in four major scenes. Okay, we're, we're, going to, we're going to walk through four major scenes, and then we're going to draw two conclusions at the very end. All right, so we're going to walk through it, uh, four different sections. First, we have in verses 1 through 13, the king's reaction. You have the, his reaction to this dream that he has. And in chapter 2, verses 14 through 30, you have Daniel's response to uh, this sentence of death that is that is given by the king. And then from there, in uh, in 31 through 45, we see God's revelation. God reveals himself to Daniel. Uh, Daniel, and also to the king, and also to us, and then finally at the very end we have the king's repentance? Question mark because that's it's a it's a great topic. It's a great point of debate throughout the book of Daniel. Is King Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? You know, because Nebuchadnezzar continues oscillating back and forth between humility and arrogance and repentance and self glory. So we're we're going to walk through each of those four sections together. So first, set the context. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So uh, if, you, if you weren't here last week or you just need a refresher, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the empire of Babylon. Babylon has uh, entered Jerusalem. They were taking over all of the Middle East and they entered Jerusalem. They destroyed the city. They brought some of its people out, including Daniel and his, his three friends. Um, last week, what we saw is that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's goal is to take the uh, uh, Israelites that they brought in, these these men of Judah, and assimilate them to Babylonian culture. He, he, they've taken the men to assimilate them to the culture. They want to conform them and make them really good Babylonians. Daniel and his friends were of noble blood. They were, they were of the nobility in Judah. They were incredibly wise, and they had, they had all these uh, incredible <laughs> gifts. And so Uh, Now we have Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, who has, he's probably at this time one of the most, if not the most, powerful man in the entire world. And he goes to sleep at night, and he has a dream. And this powerful man wakes up from the dream, and he is utterly tormented. He is completely tormented. It says his spirit was troubled. His sleep left him. So he has this he has this troubling dream and we're not we're not told what the dream is you know you, you probably you may have fallen asleep standing up before you actually heard what the dream was it's much later in the chapter but we don't hear what the dream is at this point we just know that he has a dream that scared him to death um they should just call it a nightmare it was it was king neb's horrible terrible nightmare and so the king uh, He summons these magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, basically these wise men. So he calls these wise men in to reveal the dream. Now, this is not uncommon in, in Babylonian culture or ancient Near Eastern culture, where um, they would believe that the gods, or they would believe uh, that they would reveal themselves through a dream, or they would have a dream, and they would they would have these enchanters come in, they would have these wise men come in, and they would try to use the dream, to interpret the dream, to, to predict future events. So what what's going to happen down the road? I had a dream. Is there anything in this dream that you can use to predict future events? But of course, as you could see, a, a normal problem with that would be that whenever these enchanters Chances whenever these wise men would be kind of limited, like, oh man, I'm really not sure. It's a dream, you know? So they give an interpretation. They might not even be confident in their interpretation. They're just like, oh yeah, this this might be it. And most of the time that was okay, but Nebuchadnezzar's dream this time is different. He's not in the business of having these wise men guess. He he doesn't want them to guess about uh, the the interpretation of the dream. He wants to be sure himself that they know what this dream means. And so his test for them is to say, not only are we going to ask you to interpret the dream for me, you have to tell me what I dreamed. Okay? You, ha- you have to reveal the content of the dream. What was my dream? If you're so powerful and you're so wise and you can tell me what this dream means, first, I need to be sure of that. So you tell me what I dreamed and then I can trust you with the interpretation. Um, and, and they respond to him, as any of us would respond. Are you crazy? I, I, not only, yeah, we can't do that, but it's not just us. Like, don't blame us. There isn't a person on the face of the earth who can do what you've asked. Look, look down in verse, in verse uh, 10. It says, The Chaldeans answered the king after he makes this request of them. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. So so these, these Babylonian wise men, they're they're telling the king okay, there isn't a person on, on the planet that can do what you're asking, so you might as well forget it. They can't do it. Now, there, is, there are some, some beings who can do that, the gods. Like our deities, our deities, our gods, they could do it. They have the power uh, to tell you what you dream. They can know your thoughts. But the problem with that is they're not concerned with the affairs of men, okay? They're not here with us. You can't call on the gods to, to respond to you and answer you, and tell you what you dreamed. They're, they're not going to do that. Now, they're able to do it, but they're not going to do it. So, for, for Babylon, their deities, their gods, what you can see here is that they are transcendent. So, they believe they were transcendent. They were far beyond them in power and in might. They were far beyond them, but they're not imminent. Okay? They don't come close, they, they don't draw near to, to people, especially in this way. So, he's, he's telling them the gods could tell you the content of your dream but they're not going to. So King Neb, I'm sorry, bro. Like, you gotta give up on this. Like, we'll tell, tell us what the dream is. Tell us what the dream is. trying to help you out. Tell us what the dream is. We'll tell you what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar goes off. He, I mean, he loses his mind because they give this reasonable argument. You kind of feel bad for the wise men here. What else are they supposed to do? And then in verse 12, here's the response from the king. Here's his reaction to his dream and to their inability to tell him what he dreamed. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So notice, he did not just say, all right, these guys here, these jokers, put them to death. He says, these jokers, yes, put them to death and put all the other wise men to death too. They're useless to me. Kill all of them. Well, Who had been brought in to Babylon to be a wise man? Daniel. Daniel and and his friends from Judah. they, They were a part of this as well. You look in verse 13. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Nebuchadnezzar reacts to this dream with fear and worry and irritation. He can't sleep and ultimately with fury and anger. And, and he goes and he says, tell me what this dream is, not just what it means. So right as we begin here, ask yourself the question, why is he so tormented? He doesn't even know what the dream means, right? He, he's looking for an interpretation. Why is he so furious? Why is the interpretation of this dream so important that he is willing to kill every single one of the, the men who have been tasked with doing this kind of dream interpretation in Babylon. Why? The king's reaction. Okay, second. So Daniel now is faced with not just possible death. Remember in chapter one, chapter one, he kind of takes a risk He's like, all right, they're asking me to eat this food. They're asking me to, to drink this wine. I, I cannot, I cannot violate the word of the Lord and I cannot shift my loyalty away from the Lord. So I'm, I'm willing to take this risk no matter what comes and I'm just gonna say, hey, let us, let us eat vegetables and drink water. We're not gonna partake of this. And he didn't know how that would turn out. You know, they, they, they may have killed him on the spot, but he didn't know. This time it's different. He knows he's gonna die. Okay, this is, this is a decree. So, verse 13, so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. They're already going, y'all. When, when you see Arioch have this conversation with Daniel, Arioch's there to kill him. He's not there to have a conversation. So, look at verse 14. So you have Arioch and his men have come to Daniel to kill him, and Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, "Why is the decree of the king so urgent? That's bold. That's bold. Why? Why now? Why? Why all of a sudden?" Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So Arioch tells Daniel the story. He's like, "Well, here's what happened. You know, King Neb had a dream. Uh, he's really upset. He asks his wise men to reveal the dream, not just the interpretation, but to reveal the content of the dream. And they can't do it, so now he's going to kill you guys. I'm sorry, just kind of a, not your day, you know, kind of thing." Um, and so, so then Daniel in verse 16. I, I hope you're already seeing this contrast between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Look at verse 16. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel responds to uh, this, this certain death in five ways. The first is requesting an audience with the king. He, 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 just, he just says, okay, so he had this dream and he wants to know what the dream was and he wants to know what the dream means. I can do that. I can do that. Let Let me go like don't don't kill us yet like calm down you know chill like give me a chance give me a chance I will go in and I will tell the the king what he dreamed at this moment Daniel has no clue no clue what what the king dreamed he has no idea what the dream what the dream is he doesn't know and yet he has confidence to say I'll go I'll go And again, it goes all the way back to chapter 1 and and what Daniel's relying on here. Like, Daniel's identity as a part of God's covenant people continues to fuel this bold courage, this confidence in the face of the most dangerous circumstances and situations because Daniel knows who he is. Because Daniel is secure in his identity, he's able to say, no, I'll go in there. I'll go in there and, and talk to the king. And he has no idea yet. All right, so he makes this risky request. And then secondly, though, immediately, and I love how Rory framed that for our time of confession, immediately he gets on his knees and he prays. Look at verse, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and he told them. So it's not just Daniel by himself praying to the Lord. He, he gathers with his community that he has, and he says, pray for me, pray for us seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. It's like, okay, it all depends on this. Our very lives are hanging in the balance. If I'm able to go in and tell the king what he dreamed and what it means, then we will all be saved. But I can't do that on my own. You see this utter dependence on God's mercy. You see, he begged the Lord for mercy, beg the lord seek his mercy seek his wisdom daniel asked for god to do for him what he could never do for himself he's entirely dependent on god and then what what do we see right after that right after that and prayer does not always work this way so don't use this as like oh okay i'm gonna pray like if i could just pray like daniel then i'll get a verse 19 response okay it doesn't always work this way but it did at this moment look in verse 19 Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. God answers Daniel's prayer. He he tells him what the dream was. Daniel has a vision while he's asleep, but really through another dream. Through another dream, the Lord tells him what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, and, and he tells him what it means. So already here, what we see is God's superior power, and really just the supremacy of God over the Babylonian deities. So you remember, the gods of Babylon, these, these enchanters, these wise men say, they're powerful. Only they can know the heart and the thoughts of a man. But they're not gonna tell us. Okay, we can't, we can't implore them. We can't talk to them. We're not, we don't have an intimate relationship with them like that. They're not like that. They don't dwell with flesh. But what about Daniel's God. Daniel's God does dwell with flesh. Daniel's God has been dwelling with his people for centuries in the tabernacle and in the temple. Daniel's God does make his dwelling place with human flesh. He does come close, he does draw near. So Daniel knows when he hears this mystery, the wise men hear this mystery and they're like, We're dead. We're dead because there's no chance. We can do what you've asked us to do. Daniel says a similar thing. There's no chance that I can do what they've asked us to do, but God can. Let me run to him. Let me run to him and implore him and beg him to reveal himself, and he does. So we see through this revelation of this dream that God has transcendent power. I mean, literally, think about it. Think about the power here. God tells a man the thoughts of another man, okay? He gets inside the head and the heart of Nebuchadnezzar and then reveals what he revealed to Nebuchadnezzar to Daniel, this transcendent power that no human can possess, but he's also graciously imminent. He begs for mercy and he is imminent, he is close. Our God is a God who draws near to us in his power, Okay, so Daniel prays, but but he doesn't just pray. After he prays and God reveals himself, immediately he bursts out in song, right? You remember remember the question from Psalm 137 that we're framing our entire study of Daniel? How can you sing the Lord's song in a strange land? That's, That's the question in Psalm 137. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Daniel sings a song. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. You have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. He praises God. How is he able to sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Because God remains sovereign. And God remains faithful and gracious to his people in a strange land. So, so as, as we are in our own Babylon, as we talked about last week, as we're living in a strange land, as we're living as sojourners and strangers and exiles in this land, we can continue to sing the Lord's song in this land because God continues to show us favor. He continues to be faithful and he continues to show us his sovereign power. He praises and sings the Lord's song in this strange land. But, but fourth, so, so, okay, so recapping, Daniel requests an audience with the king and then Daniel prays to God, and then he praises God for his faithful provision. And fourth, Daniel shows his courage again. Now, he has a little more reason to be confident this time, but Daniel intercedes not just for himself and not just for his Jewish friends. Daniel intercedes for all the wise men of Babylon who are facing imminent death. All right, so, so look in verse 24. So after God reveals this to him, after God has been gracious to him, Daniel seeks to extend that grace to others. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Do not destroy them. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. I will take their place. I will take their place. He, he again risks, he puts himself out there. He doesn't know, again, how the king's gonna respond. He might just be like, oh, thank you, Daniel, for sharing that dream. Off with his head, you know? Like I mean, he's, he's this crazy, power-hungry dictator. I mean, he could do whatever. He could still kill all the Babylonians, but Daniel, out of love and out of grace that he has received from God, extends that to, to these Babylonian wise men, and he says, I'm going to take their place. I will go in. I will Possibly sacrifice myself. I can tell you what the dream means. So he intercedes. But but then we see in verse twenty five, Arioch brought Daniel before the king. So it's like moment of truth. He he brings him before the king in haste. Why? First of all, this king is becoming very unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen next. And also, he wants these wise men dead. All right, he's probably just sitting there thinking, why is Daniel here? He was supposed to kill him. You know. All right, so, so in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And then the king looks to Daniel and he says, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? He brings that clarity back. He's like, Ah, ah, ah. Don't try to weasel out of that. Not just the interpretation. Are you able to reveal the dream and its interpretation? And then verse 27, the last thing that Daniel does is he responds to to this certain death that he's facing. He witnesses to King Nebuchadnezzar. So what's Nebuchadnezzar want? What does he want? All all the king wants is to know what the dream is. You reveal the dream and then you tell me what it means. He wants to know those two things, that's it. That's all he wants to hear out of the mouth of Daniel or anyone who could do it. That's it, that's all he's looking for. So all Daniel had to say was, yes, yes. I, I, I can. I, I do know what you dreamed. You dreamed, and then describe the dream. I do you know what it means? I do. Here's what it means. And then tell him what it means, and then go on his way. Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel leverages this opportunity to testify about the identity and power and grace of God. He gets really specific with Nebuchadnezzar. Look, look how he, I, I'm so blown away at how he answers him. Verse 27 and verse 28, parallel verses nine and 10. If you have to turn back like 15 pages to get back to it, it's worth it, okay? Um, but in verses nine and 10, well, I'm sorry, 10 and 11. In 10 and 11, so, so the Chaldeans, you know, these wise men of Babylon, they say, there's no man on earth who can do what you're asking, And then in verse 11 it says, no one can show it to the king except the gods, but their dwelling is not with flesh. Okay, now look at verse 27. No wise men, this is Daniel talking to the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. And look at verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. And then look at verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you, may be, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel leverages this opportunity in the presence of this Babylonian king and he evangelizes him. He testifies to God's identity. There aren't gods in heaven. There is a God. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries? He testifies to his identity, he testifies to God's power. This God in heaven, my God, the God of my fathers, he has the power to reveal mysteries to you. And, and then he says, even more intimately, O king, God is speaking to you. Okay? These, these other wise men are saying, The gods will not speak to you. And Daniel comes in and he says, The reason you even had this dream. The reason that this is all happening is because God is speaking to you. He leverages his position, this opportunity before the king, and he testifies, he witnesses about God's identity, power, and grace. And then we have what I know you've all been looking for, the dream. The dream and its interpretation. So the king reacted with anger Daniel responded in those five ways and now we have God's revelation, the third part of the story. So God revealed himself to King Nebuchadnezzar and then God revealed himself to Daniel. He revealed the contents of the dream and then God revealed the interpretation of the dream. So Daniel stands before the king and he shares God's revelation of the dream and he framed it in that way. Well, here's what God's saying. Here's what God is saying. So the dream. I'm not going to read through it. I'll describe it to you. Here's the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of this huge statue and this tiny little stone. He, He dreamed of this massive statue and this small stone. The statue was made with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, a middle section, midsection, and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of a combination of iron and clay. So just imagine this massive statue. He's dreaming this, this massive statue, and it has all these precious metals. You've got, you've got a gold head, you've got silver, you've got bronze, and then you have iron, and then the feet are iron and also clay at the bottom. All right, so the statue. And then he dreams of the stone. The stone was cut from a mountain. All right, so it wasn't created by human hands. The stone hits the feet of the statue. So he's dreaming this. He's dreaming this. The stone, this little tiny stone, not a big boulder, not a, not a huge mountain, not a, not a meteor, but this little stone hits the feet of this statue and it all crumbles. It, it falls to, to a million pieces and is, is taken away by the wind. And, and then the stone, this tiny stone that hits the feet, the stone grows. The stone grows gradually into this mountain into this massive mountain, and that mountain filled the entire earth. And then Nebuchadnezzar wakes up. And he's sweating. and He's scared. He's worried. So before we talk about the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, let's talk about the the dream itself. So the statue. Daniel gives his interpretation. Here's what the statue is. The statue represents a succession of earthly kingdoms. And he begins by saying, this gold head... This gold head is Babylon. This gold, gold head, Nebuchadnezzar, this is you. This is your kingdom. This is your, your reign. This is your time. You're, you're the gold head. But you will pass away. And after you is going to come uh, another kingdom. And it, that's what's represented by the silver. And then after that, yet another kingdom and is represented by the bronze. And yet after that, another kingdom which is represented by the iron. Now, this is why I emailed you and said leave your charts at home, okay? Okay. Um, Here's what people do when they get to Daniel two, they read all that we read, and then they focus all their attention on. Now we're not given the names of the silver and the bronze and the and the uh, iron kingdoms. What were they? What are those kingdoms? And I'll give you the traditional Christian interpretation. The tradition, the traditional interpretation of this is that the silver. Represents the Medo Persia, uh, Kingdom of Medo Persia, the bronze represents the, the Kingdom of Greece, and then the iron represents the Kingdom of Rome. But that's not why, that's not what's most important in this passage. Um, Christians throughout the years, they've tried to use this passage to try to predict when Jesus will return. You know, they'll look at that and they'll say, you know what I think the stone is? And I'll be like, well, I know what it is. It's the kingdom of God because Daniel said it. Well, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But the stone is the second return of Jesus. So what's the kingdom of iron? And let's look all around the world and you start thinking about it and, and, they, and they, they completely lose the, the very meaning and the point of this passage. The point of the dream is not to have certain names and certain dates and know the certain kingdoms and when things are gonna happen. The point of the dream is to highlight the supremacy and the victory of the kingdom of God because the statue represents a succession of earthly kingdoms. Each one rules for a time and then passes away and is replaced by another until the stone comes in. And the stone represents a kingdom too. It represents the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom Nebuchadnezzar dreams of and Daniel reveals to him the interpretation. There is a kingdom that is coming that when it takes the place of the other kingdoms nothing will come behind it there is a kingdom that's coming that will crush all other kingdoms that have come before it they will crumble at the arrival of this kingdom and it will not be replaced now it's interesting that the lord chose to reveal to nebuchadnezzar his future coming kingdom with the image of a stone a stone what, what is the nature of the kingdom of God? The stone helps us. This stone was not created by human hands. This stone was created by God. The kingdom of God is created by God. It is by God's own doing. This stone is so ordinary, right? It's so simple. Just, just, this, just this little stone. It's, it's not gold, it's not diamond, it's not this precious metal. It's just a rock. The kingdom of God appears on the surface to be very ordinary. You know when the kingdom of God was inaugurated? At the birth of Jesus to a young girl, a virgin. And, and you look at Jesus' life, and he says, I have brought the kingdom of God with me. And one of the stumbling blocks for the disciples the whole time is, man, this just seems really ordinary i keep waiting on something really big to happen nothing nothing really big ever happened you have this guy who lives and he teaches and then he dies on a cross and then something massive happened he 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 rises from the dead but up until that point the arrival of the kingdom of god looks so ordinary because it is because it is we live as citizens in the kingdom of god and our lives are really ordinary what the lord calls us to is really really ordinary Okay, so but but also God's kingdom gradually grows. You see, this, this stone grows into this mountain that will one day fill the entire earth. And, and so as Jesus inaugurated this kingdom, we continue to spread and advance the kingdom through ordinary discipleship, through ordinary evangelism, through ordinary missions, and as the gospel goes forth throughout the whole earth, the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows the kingdom spreads and one day when jesus returns the glory of god will fill the earth the kingdom of god will fill the entire earth and that kingdom the last thing about this stone about this kingdom is that it will never ever end nothing will take its place okay so you have the statue you have the stones you have the interpretation what can we take away from this What can we take away? I hope you take away more than just trying to do some historical research about the kingdoms that represent silver and bronze and iron. There are two words here for us. God revealed a word of hope. There's a word of hope. We are citizens of a kingdom that will never end. We are citizens of a kingdom that will never end. Nebuchadnezzar, when he dreamed, in part, he dreamed about you. He dreamed about me. He dreamed about God's people. He dreamed about this kingdom that just flourishes and grows and spreads and one day fills the entire earth. Jesus is the fulfillment of this dream because in his first coming to earth, he brought the kingdom of God with him. And so the kingdom of God is here now because Jesus brought it with him. And one day, he's gonna return to fully consummate it to complete his kingdom. And all other rival kingdoms will crumble with its coming. So we have no reason to fear any person. We have no reason to fear any ruler, any leader, any government, okay? Our hope is not in the United States. It's not. By the way, all of these kingdoms that had all this power, where are they at? You know? Where are they at? The United States... 300 years from now, 400 years from now, people may be looking back on it and say, where are they at? Where are they at? Go- Our hope is not in the United States. Okay? Our hope is in a kingdom that is untouchable, that, that, that will never end. Our hope is not in any political party. Our hope is not in any president. No matter how next year's presidential election turns out, you're going to be okay. okay. And I'm going to be okay because it does not matter. Ultimately, it doesn't mean we don't work for it. It doesn't mean that we don't, we're not active in politics or anything like that. What it means is our hope cannot be shaken by temporary earthly conditions because our hope is in an eternal spiritual kingdom. Our hope depends on the certainty of God's kingdom. So what can we do now as we Wait for the fulfillment, the, the, the completion of God's kingdom. We can be like Daniel. We can be courageous in the face of danger. We can sacrificially intercede for others. We can confidently share the gospel in hostile places because not even the threat of death can shake us. We belong to God's eternal kingdom. It's just a great word of hope. But there's also a word of warning in this passage. God reveals a word of warning to us. And it's this, our kingdoms will crumble. Our kingdoms will crumble. And you may not think that you're building a kingdom for yourself. You might, you might think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But we are all building our lives on something. Something. You, you build your life on something. You funnel all of the decisions that you make through some, something. You're, you're funneling it through something. You're filtering it through something and the warning of this of Daniel 2 is if we build our lives on anything other than God and his kingdom we build on a weak foundation that will eventually crumble now think back to the king think back to his his dream and his reaction to the dream why did he react with such distress and so much fear and so much anger why is he so tormented It can't be that he doesn't know anything about the dream. It can't mean that the dream is so obscure that he can't draw anything from it. No, no. Even though he didn't know everything about the dream, he knew enough about the dream. He knew enough about the dream to make sure that the people interpreting it knew what they were talking about, okay? He knew that he was building his entire life on power. He knew that he was building his entire life on his kingdom and his reign and his personal glory. And he has this dream about it all being taken away. He has this dream about his entire, what he's building his entire life on being shattered. The statue, we're gonna get to Daniel 3, he builds a statue. So he had plans for this statue and his statue is crumbled by this little rock Why? Think back to the dream. The statue is made of gold and silver and bronze and iron, and what about the feet? Clay. His statue, as glorious as it is, is built on this weak foundation. This weak foundation. If you build your life on money, on power, on the approval of others, on beauty, or ministry. If you build your life on your career, your heart will look more like Nebuchadnezzar's than Daniel's when your foundation is threatened. Nebuchadnezzar's foundation was threatened by this dream. My power could go away, someone could take my power, and he loses his mind. He's distressed, he's tormented, he's angry. Nebuchadnezzar's foundation was power, and when it was threatened, he lost sleep. He was scared, he lost control of himself because taking power away from the king, taking away his foundation, everything he's building his life on means you're taking his identity from him. He doesn't know himself if he's not the most powerful person in the world. But then think about Daniel. Daniel's foundation was God and his kingdom, And since nothing can threaten that foundation, nothing can threaten God, Daniel is courageous. Daniel is content. Daniel is confident. He's wise. He's gracious. He's loving. He's able to pour himself out for others even whenever he's facing death. He was able to risk his own life to save others because he had a hope in God that was untouchable. You could not touch Daniel's foundation. You could not touch Daniel's hope. So there's a word of warning for us here. What are you building your life on? What is the foundation of your life? I know what you want it to be. I know what you want it to be. But as you reflect on the decisions that you make and the plans that you make, are you making them because you're building on the foundation of God's kingdom and trying to live in light of it, or are you trying to build your own? Because when that thing, whatever it is for you, is threatened, you will spiral out of control. We are slaves to whatever we build our lives on, and we will serve it. But when you're a slave to God and you serve Him, you will finally find the freedom that you need to live. All right, last thing, we'll close with this. You look at Nebuchadnezzar's response. The story ends with King Nebuchadnezzar falling on his face and responding to God's revelation, his power, his mercy, with humility and honor. He praises God. He praises Daniel. He gives Daniel all these honors. He elevates him in the kingdom. Um, Now, sadly, it's not the end of the story, and we're gonna see how Nebuchadnezzar goes back and forth throughout, but we do see here that there is only one appropriate response when you are faced with an eternal kingdom that will crush everything you're building your life on. And it's let go of that stuff. Turn from it and fully embrace this great, sovereign, powerful, gracious God who calls you in, is inviting you in this morning to his kingdom to be a citizen forevermore. So turn. Turn from whatever you're building your life on that's not God's kingdom, and, and embrace His. Let's let's pray together, Father. Thank you so much. Thank you so much that you are you are such a powerful God. You're a God who's in control of history. We worry all the time about the future. We worry about the next political cycle. We we don't know what's going to happen, and, and we're being taught and trained by by media, to be afraid. We're not a people of fear, though. We are a people of hope. So help us to walk in that hope that you have called us into an eternal kingdom. Because of what Jesus has done in our place, our kingdoms will be crushed at the return of Jesus. However, we're invited into your kingdom because your son was crushed in our place. So I pray for each of us that we would be building our lives on the foundation of your kingdom. And we praise you that in the end, you are victorious. In the end, there is no human ruler or leader or power or government who can stand in the way of what you're wanting to do for us. So help us as we move forward now to build our lives on your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand, we'll respond through song.